Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and open them up once again to the book of John, John chapter 18, John chapter 18, and we're going to read the Word of God this morning. Now, I'm going to read beginning at verse number 28 down through 36, and at 36, I want you to join me and read for a few verses down through verse 38, 36 to 38, and then I will read 39 and 40, and I'll indicate when we get to that location when I will read and when you will stop reading. So what I'd like you to do is stand. And let's uh, see what the Word of God has to say as we continue talking about uh, this trial that Jesus was going through as he was getting ready to go to the cross. This is John chapter 18 and verse number 28. Let me read first and I'll call on you in a moment. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium and it was early morning. They themselves did not go into the praetorium lest they should be defiled but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Then Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you to me. What have you done? So join me on verse 36. Ready? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to them, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. Let me read the last two. But you have, cho you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Then they all cried again, saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Father, I add your blessing to the preaching and teaching of your word. And I pray that, as this passage says, that we would be of the truth and able to hear. And I pray, Father, that you would anoint our hearts and minds and ears of understanding, that we would be able to give attention to your word. Now, there are those here this morning that are believers, followers of Jesus. I pray that you would draw us closer. There are those this morning that are here that have never come to faith in Jesus. They do not know you as Savior. I pray you would draw them to yourself today. Let this be the day that they're born again into the family of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Now, you know, there wasn't anything right or legal about the mock trial of Jesus. It was held at night. The prisoner was assumed to be guilty, and he was treated that way. The court hired false witnesses. The judge permitted the prisoner to be mistreated while bound. The court allowed the accused no defense, 
And after the secret night trial, the crafty religious leaders led Jesus to Pilate for the final death sentence. They would not enter a Gentile's hall lest they should be defiled, but they did not hesitate to condemn an innocent man to death. There's never been a greater miscarriage of justice. Yet then again, it was the greatest satisfaction of justice that has ever been accomplished. So evil men were conniving and scheming to eliminate their religious competition because they were envious. But God had planned this, planned this event from the foundation of the world to be able to show compassion and to administer true justice in one supreme act. Romans 3, and I won't read it all, but it says this, speaking of Jesus, it says that God set forth him as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance or patience, God passed over sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The greatest demonstration of justice in the history of the world happened at the cross. She said, well, it was an injustice. He was an innocent man. Oh no, this was the divine justice of God putting all of the sins of all people of all time on Jesus, the innocent sacrifice, and he took our place. It was a demonstration of justice. God, the Father, completely satisfied in his justice. He is just and the justifier of those who come to him through Christ. Now, these Jewish leaders, they thought they were in control. Later, Pilate is going to lecture Jesus in chapter 19, verse 10, saying that he is in control. But folks, I want you to know this morning that they were never in control. God is always in control. God's in control, amen? And so God is always in control. Now let's remember that the Father and the Son looked at the events leading up to and the consummation of the atonement as the pinnacle of his glory while Jesus was here on earth. That's John 12, 23. This wasn't the sad end to a wonderful teacher. No, no, no. This wasn't, this wasn't some tragic stop to a wonderful life. No, no. This was the glorious moment and the fulfillment of the purpose for which Jesus Christ came into the world. There was never a great glory in history on this planet than when Jesus was lifted up to take the sins of the whole world. And Isaiah chapter 53 says that God was satisfied with what Jesus did for you and for me. Oh, the Holy Trinity had been planning this from the beginning of time. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, just a short section, him speaking of Jesus being delivered by the determined purpose and the foreknowledge of God you have taken by lawless hands and crucified and put to death, but God raised him up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he could be held by it. It was the predetermined foreknowledge and pre-counsel of God that Jesus would be crucified, that he would die for our sins. Yet, that didn't let anyone off the hook of their responsibility because they with wicked hands and through their sinful deeds and thoughts put him there. And so it is so important. All I can say this morning as I look at this is hallelujah for the cross. Because of the cross of Christ, we're set free. The people had it right on the day of triumphal entry in John 12. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus said it again. When he had found a young donkey, he sat on it as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your 
king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. In other words, this was the fulfillment of the plan of God from the very beginning. It's not a tragic end to a wonderful life. It is the consummation of the plan of God from the beginning of time to redeem you and me from sin and its penalty forever. And that's a good time to say amen. Amen. Now, folks, Jesus died for us on the cross. He took our place. Oh, how wonderful. Pastor, you're getting excited already. Let me settle down and talk about this. Chapter 13, verses, chapter 13, verse 1 through chapter 20 and verse 25, all happened from Thursday night to Sunday morning of Passion Week. A long passage. One day I'm going to do a sermon about every step Jesus took from the upper room, but today we're just going to focus on this little period of time that happened on a Friday morning, specifically when he was led, Jesus was led from Caiaphas to Pilate. And who is this Pilate fellow anyway? He in the Bible and other, in other gospels, he's called Pontius Pilate. It reminds me of a story that Carolyn Pace from Peru, Pastor Tom's wife, told about a Sunday school class she was having one time, and it was Easter weekend, and so she told the whole story of the crucifixion of Jesus and how there was, there was the nailing of his hands, and there was the cross, and there were the Roman soldiers, and there was his mother and John, and there was the tomb that he's going to be buried in. And so after he was done with, after, after she was teaching her class and told all about it, she said, I wonder if they're really understanding it. So she gave this assignment. She said, I want you to draw a picture. Here's crayons. Here's some paper. I want you to draw a picture of what you learned this morning all the elements of Jesus and the Easter weekend and the crucifixion. And so they did. And so they drew this picture and that, and there were 25 or 30 kids. And she looked through and all of them had something of the cross. They had something of the soldiers. Some magnified the nails, the crown of thorns. They did all of these things. But one little boy turned in a piece of paper and uh, on his sheet, he had drawn all the regular things, but there at the top, there was a picture of an airplane with a pilot in it. And so uh, Carolyn said, now, she said, Jose, I see this, and I, I'm trying to understand it. You've got, you got all the things that are there, but what's up with this airplane up here? And she said, well, you understand. You know, it's in the story. You guys are just not listening. It says, this is Pontius the pilot. <laughs> Pilate was an appointee of Tiberius and was on the scene to maintain Roman authority and rule. There was mutual hatred between these people, Pilate and the Jews of Jerusalem, those that that were hooked to the temple. He angered them tremendously when he showed up. He marched into town under a Roman standard, which had an eagle on it, and everybody had to pay obeisance to that. Of course, they didn't. It created trouble from the very first. It constituted idolatry to the Jews. Whenever he had a project he wanted to finish, it was an aqueduct bringing water into the city. He ran out of tax money, so... He says there's a lot of money at the temple, so he just instructed his soldiers to go to the temple, raid the temple, and take all the money so he could finish his, his, uh, his project. On another occasion, Luke 13, 1 to 2, it talks about how there was a sacrifice in the Galilee one day, and they were sacrificing, doing their regular sacrifices, and his soldiers showed up, and he showed up, and he instructed them, okay, they want to sacrifice. Let's make this a real sacrifice. And so he killed some Jews and mixed the two bloods together and offered it himself on an altar. He mixed the blood of people and animals, and he did it. So there was no love loss between these two groups, but... This is the appeal that was made that day to bring Jesus, according to the Jews, to justice. This Pilate was a political animal, only doing what made him look good in Rome and not what was good for the people. Now, he didn't live in Jerusalem on a regular basis. Pilate lived in Caesarea by the sea. 
Jerusalem, though, at Passover time, which was the time of the passage we're studying, would swell, some say, up to two million people. He felt, well, uh, with passions running so high, we want to make sure that we're there. And so he would come during that time to make sure to maintain peace, and he would bring his entourage with him. When he was in Jerusalem, he lived at the governor's headquarters, and it was known, as our passage says, as the Praetorium. I won't bore you with a lot of background on that word, but it was just a place where he stayed, and there was a hall of justice, a hall where he would hear the complaints of the people. We read the passage, and there are just three movements in the passage. The Jews was the first movement. They were accusing Jesus to Pilate. The second movement, Pilate confronting Jesus with what they said, and then finally, Pilate declares that he... Has, he finds no fault in Jesus. He's not guilty at all. Verse number 38 says, I find no fault in him at all. So he thinks about this and he says, I'm going to do something here. I'm going to pull something from their traditions and I'm going to see if I can't get them to look at this in a different light. And so he said, it's Passover. I'm feeling benevolent and I've got somebody in jail here that really is an insurrectionist. In fact, he's an insurrectionist. He's a murderer. He's a thief. He's all of those things. He's the, he's the despicable part of society and he is on death row. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put this wandering teacher, this itinerant miracle worker, I'm going to put him up and he's already been beaten. I'm going to put him up, and then uh, he's already been maltreated. I'm going to put him up, and I'm going to put Barabbas up. Surely they're going to choose Jesus. And so he put him up there, and you know the result. The narrative is straightforward. I want to draw out four major truths about religion and politics from this passage of Scripture. Religion and politics. You say, Pastor Phil, those are the two things most people don't want to talk about. Okay. We won't after this sermon. So let me just go on, all right? So religion and politics. Number one, religion is empty. Write that down. Religion is empty. It tends, religion tends to become corrupt. Uh, in just a cursory reading of the book of John, you'll see it over and over that the religion of the day, the temple was apostate. Their religion had just gone to nothing. And John the Baptist was called of God to prepare the way of the Lord. We saw this in the second chapter. He was prepared, called to prepare the way for the Lord. And he, re he preached repentance and faith to the people, but he just bypassed the temple. He bypassed the priesthood. He bypassed all of the religious leaders. And he went out to a place called Bethabara, which was across the Jordan River in the desert. And he began to preach and baptize those that came to him, calling for a change at the heart level. Be different from the heart, from their innermost being. You need to be a different person. Repent. You know, one of the saddest developments today is how many churches that formerly preached the truth of sin and salvation through the cross have opted to follow the culture. Instead of repent and believe the gospel, it has become relate and adapt to the culture. I have a friend who has an opportunity to visit many, many churches in our state to promote family values and pro-life issues. He sadly reported that he's seeing rapid, very rapid changes going on in Iowa. Uh, churches that used to share the gospel clearly are now flying rainbow flags in their auditorium behind the pulpits. They are reconsidering whether the Bible really teaches that repentance is necessary. They say Jesus accepts us just as we are, doesn't he? Well, of course he accepts us just as we are, but he doesn't intend to leave us just as we are. He intends to change us. 
and to make us new people. This is 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and many other places we could talk about. He doesn't intend to leave us in our sin. Jesus came to save me from my sin. Jesus came to save me from my sin, not just its penalty, but from its practice. Jesus, let me say it again. Jesus came to save me from my sin. Say that with me. Jesus came to save me from my sin. It's penalty, it's power, it's domination, and it's practice. He came to save us from that. Now, religion is something else. Religion is full of hypocrisy. Is a hypocrisy. I said, yes, it's full of hypocrisy. I, I, your pastor, standing in the pulpit, am a bona fide hypocrite. What? Yeah, I'm a hypocrite. Because I preach lofty sermons, and then when I try to live it, sometimes I struggle. How about you? Do you, you have lofty ideals that sometimes are a struggle to fulfill? How many of you know that at the root, sometimes you're hypocritical? Will you just raise your hand up? How many of you requiring, requiring other people what you yourself don't always perform? Would you raise your hand? You see, religion is full of hypocrisy, but I've never seen such a glaring case of it as I see in this passage of Scripture. I mean, you're talking about glaring. This is it. The legalism blinded them. They dragged Jesus from Caiaphas to Pilate. They approached the praetorium and then they couldn't go in. They sent word to Pilate, come out. It was early, perhaps before 6 a.m., according to many sources. And then there's this truth. Jesus did not enter Gentile, or the Jews, excuse me, the Jews did not enter Gentile homes. That day, being the day of preparation for the Passover, they wanted to make sure that they were ceremonially clean to eat the Passover meal that evening. And so they didn't want to be seen doing this terrible thing of going in among the Gentiles. You know this is true. When, when, uh, when Peter ended up going, to, going to, to Caesarea to meet the man there, went to, went to go to the, the house of the centurion, when he went there to meet him, he, he said, you know, I'm coming under your roof and I'm going to be called on the carpet when I get back to Jerusalem. And that's exactly what happened to him. They did. They want to know, what in the world are you doing eating with these Gentiles? I mean, it was something they just didn't do. So here's this bunch of folks that are conniving to put Jesus to death. Oh, but wait a minute. The rules say we can't be contaminated by being in contact with these Gentiles. You know, after all, they abort their babies and flush them through their sewer systems. That was a belief in the first, first century among the Jews. And so, because of that, we just can't be contaminated with these people. So get this. They wanted to keep the rules and rituals carefully so that they could be seen to be holy while at the same time they were conspiring to commit murder. Jesus spoke about it in simple terms when he was speaking to the Pharisees. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You pay tithe of the mint and the anise and the cumin, which are very tiny seeds and very small leaves, picking off just one little seed out of 10 and one little leaf out of 10. They were very careful and just meticulous about those tithing things. You've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and mercy and faith. You ought to have done these things without leaving the others undone. And he called them blind guides. You strain out a gnat and you swallow a camel. You see a gnat a gnat was unclean. So they had to be very careful and strain out the gnats from all of their liquids and foods and make sure that there was no mosquito or anything in there. But spiritually speaking, they were ready to swallow a camel and not even think anything about it. They were ready. They wanted to keep the rules, but kill Jesus, murder him, knowing that he was innocent. Religious rituals cannot replace the gospel. Religious rituals cannot replace the gospel. Now, the rituals of non-Christian religions can't cleanse the heart. We know that. But here, we see that he's emphasizing something else to a religious crowd. 
Religious rituals can arise in the context of even a church setting, even good churches. Now listen to me. Receiving baptism by whatever mode, taking communion in whatever church, attending worship with whatever regularity, offering prayers of whatever length, giving money of whatever amount in themselves do not, have not, will not, and cannot save us from our sins and their inevitable judgment. Folks, you cannot perform any work that takes away your sins. And the people said, you cannot. But I think sometimes we think sometimes that we are doing God some kind of wild favor by doing these things, thinking, well, that counts for my salvation. It does not. Oh, it's so important for us to understand they just could not. The religious rituals do not replace the gospel. Religion cannot achieve redemption. Ceremonies cannot save. Only when we recognize that we're sinners, lawbreakers of God's divine law, that we are sin-cursed and helpless to save ourselves, will we even want to repent and believe the gospel. And I know I emphasize sin and repentance probably more than most people that you've ever heard, but I've, I want to tell you something. A person cannot be found until they know they're lost And a person cannot be saved until they know they need it. And the reason that we need to be saved is is we're on the wrong side of the law of God. We have broken his law. And anyone who breaks one of the smallest of them is guilty of all. And the Bible says that that sin, when it's finished, and the law breaking when it's finished, leads to death. And death is separation from God forever. Something else I want you to see is politics is limited. Politics is limited, verse 30 to 36 you say, why would you say that? Well, because power struggles are endless. When Pilate asked, what are the charges? This was, this was not that he didn't know why they brought Jesus there because Pilate would have had to give permission for the cohort of 480 soldiers to go and accompany them as they arrested Jesus in the garden. And so this is the point. The quick reply of the Jewish leaders indicates that one, Pilate already knew that, that, that where, why they were there. He had allowed the cohort. Two, the Jews were not interested in another trial. They'd already tried Jesus, found him guilty. They wanted a rubber stamp on their decision so he could be executed Roman style. And Pilate, like most politicians, what he wanted to do, just rub it into their noses that they had to have him. He wanted to let them know who was in power. Power struggles are endless. And then next, self-interest is unavoidable. He's a politician. And did you know that politicians have a hard time making decisions without self-interest? Are you aware of that? It's true. Self-interest is unavoidable. Luke gives us the list of these false charges that were brought to Pilate. In Luke 23, 2, he said this, they began to accuse him saying, we found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Put in simple words, he led the nation astray, he opposes paying taxes to Caesar, and he claimed to be the Jewish Messiah and king. Now, Pilate wanted nothing to do with the Jewish religious laws and rituals. So he said, you go judge him yourself. If you're going to talk to me about your rules and all those things, you go judge him. They retorted, we can't put anyone to death. That is very significant. Rome had no interest in religious infighting, but when the word king was mentioned, it became political. It constituted a threat. Now, don't miss this part. Very important. The Jews wanted Jesus to experience a Roman execution. That is, they wanted him to be crucified. 
And I have to say to you this morning, it had to happen by crucifixion. This is very important. Jesus said in John 3, 14, 8, 28, and 12, 32, he said he was going to be lifted up. He's going to be put on a pole. He's going to be lifted up. And all men can be drawn to him if he is lifted up. The Jews wanted Jesus to be seen lifted up. You say, why is that? Well, because of what the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 22. Now listen to this. If any man has committed a sin deserving of death and he is put to death and you hang, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. And here's what he says, for he who is hanged is accursed of God. He who is hanged on a tree is accursed of God. Of God. Here's what the Jewish hierarchy wanted. They didn't want the people to have any doubt in their mind. If they could get this guy crucified, put on a cross, suspended between heaven and earth, then it would be a, it would be a fact. He has been cursed by God and he deserves it. He's evil. This is what they wanted. You see, their law actually called for stoning, but they didn't want to stone him. They stoned Stephen and Rome didn't even interfere, but they had no right to crucify. Rome held crucifixion to themselves, they and they only. It was the lowest level of criminal that was ever crucified. They wanted Jesus to be crucified, to be seen as a criminal, but more than that, they wanted him to hang on a tree because cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. They wanted the people to say, oh man, he must be terrible. Isaiah chapter 53 says that. It says this, that we esteemed him not, and we, esteem, we esteemed him stricken of God, cursed of God, because there he is hanging on the tree. This is what they wanted. The Bible had to be fulfilled. Hanging Jesus on a tree would show him as cursed. I've got more to say about that in a moment. Power then is addictive. Pilate asked him, are you a king of the Jews? This is the only question that mattered to Pilate. The Jews' religion, rituals, power struggles, that didn't mean anything to him. But when the word king was mentioned, it got his attention. You see, kings have subjects. They can rebel. Jesus answered his question with a personal question. Are you asking this for yourself or is this from somebody else? It really made him mad. I'm not a Jew. It's your, your own people that are bringing this man to you. I, all I want to know is, are you a king? Now, let me just stop here and say that Jesus came. He rode in on a donkey. They proclaimed him the king of the Jews rightfully in a political sense. He was, because of his lineage through Joseph and his lineage through Mary, he was the rightful king of the Jews and could have sat on. But that's not the kingdom that he was preaching, teaching, and talking about. He, says, he said, don't look for the kingdom in a location. Look for the kingdom in a situation in your heart. Because he is among you, he is within you, and everybody needs a king. Let me just say this boldly to everybody this morning. You know what you need. You know what I need. We need a king in our heart, and it doesn't need to be us. We need King Jesus, and he needs to rule and reign in our heart, and this is the kingdom that he is talking about. Pilate was worried about a rebellion, about losing power. The Jews were worried about losing power. They were losing power to keep using the temple and the sacrifices to control and abuse the people and to make merchandise of them. You know, that's one of the, the, the worst the worst criticisms of Christianity today is, is how often that people in 
Christian situations make merchandise of the people and it's just a money-making operation. The truth is absolute. It's the third thing I want to say to you. The truth is absolute. Verse 37 to 38, after repeating the question, are you a king? Jesus answered, yes, and that his kingdom was a kingdom of truth. <laughs> he came to bear witness to the truth. People who care about the truth, and I trust today you do. People who have an ear for the truth, which the passage talks about. Revelation chapter 1 through 3 talks about it over and over and over. Do you have an ear to hear? And so he says, I hope you have an ear to hear. He says, people who, people who care about the truth, listen to the truth. You know, I'm afraid we live in a world today where they don't want the truth. They want to manipulate the truth for certain ends. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. You see that? My sheep, my sheep, those who belong to me, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them and they follow me. Do you have an ear for the truth? Or had you rather bend the truth to fit the situation or support a lifestyle? The world likes the idea of relative truth. Pilate asked that question, didn't he? He said, what is truth? Was he getting philosophical? I don't know what he was doing, but he asked that question. What is the truth? Well, it's always up for debate. Truth is troublesome to many. Truth needs to be today. Truth needs to be manipulated, withheld, dribbled out slanted or selective in order to get the outcome we desire. There's your truth, my truth, his truth, her truth, new truth, and relative truth. Many politicians and government officials today really don't care about the truth. They just care about what they can get enough people to believe is true. This is Pilate. And this is the world I'm afraid we live in today. But you know, God is the benchmark of absolute truth. God is the benchmark. God is truth. Jesus said in 14, 6, I am the truth. John 17, 17 says your word is what? Truth. And then John 16, 13 states that the spirit is what? Truth, and he brings truth. He's the spirit of truth. So we got Jesus is the truth. The word is the truth. The spirit is the truth. We got a trifecta of truth that God has sent down to us so that we know what is right and which way we should go. The spirit and the word point to Christ. Truth. I just want to say this morning that I'm, I'm, I, I'm one of those people, and I, I just don't fit. I don't fit today. I don't fit the culture. I don't fit a lot of people's fancy for many reasons because, you know, I just have a hard time with the gray thing. Oh, it's a gray area. There's just this gray area. Okay, maybe. But I, I just lean a whole lot more toward black and white. I mean, this is right and this is wrong. I don't know about you, but I just lean that way. I I believe the word of God. I believe that black is black and white is white, up is up, down is down, left is left, right is right, in is in, out is out. And I believe a boy is a boy and a girl is a girl. I believe absolute truth. Get this now. I believe and our whole, everything we do here at Grace Church is based on this statement I'm about to make. I believe that absolute truth can be known, learned, and taught to others. This is a, this is ought to be perpetually truth central because here we want to proclaim the one who is truth, Jesus, and we want to talk about what he says and tell people the truth so that they can orient their time on earth and determine their destiny for eternity in heaven. We need the truth, you know that? And let Grace Church be a truth center from here on. 
Praise God. Tell the truth. Preach the truth. Look at the truth. Understand the truth. The truth is the word of God. You know, I, 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 I got one right here. I got this in 2006. It was going to be my last Bible. It was supposed to last forever, but it's coming apart. This is, you know what I have in my hand? I have God's precious truth. How many of you got a Bible or some sort of a electronic thing with the Bible on it? This, how many of you got one with you this morning? Just show it to me. Show it to me. Well, you're blessed because you have the truth. Oh, pay attention to the truth. You know, the majority, the majority in the world reject the truth. Did you know that this is going to be the reason so many people will become followers of the Antichrist? At the time of the tribulation on planet earth, many will become followers of the Antichrist specifically for this reason. They reject the truth. Listen to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. It says, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Why? Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. For this reason, God will send them a strong delusion so that they should believe the lie. And we're going to see more about that. Believe the lie. It all began in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Satan was working even then to convince them, listen, you don't need, you don't need an external. You don't need somebody to tell you what's right and wrong, what you should do and what you shouldn't do. Why just take a look at this opportunity? Look at this beautiful fruit. It's going to make you wise. You're going to be godlike. Just take it. It's, oh, it's just wonderful. And it was beautiful and it was, oh, it was appealing and it's going to make me wise. And I'm going to know the difference between good and evil and it's just going to be great. In essence, you don't need him. You be your own God. And everyone, there was no king in Israel in Judges and everybody did what was right in whose eyes? Their own eyes. You know when we lived? You know where we're living? We're living at a time when everybody's encouraged to be their own God. Mm. Many reject the truth. Pilate serves an example of spiritual deafness. He couldn't hear the truth. He couldn't see the truth. Two weeks ago, I said that Judas was a man that kissed the door to heaven and died and went to hell. Well, today, Pilate is the man that looked the truth in the eye, and he still believed the lie. He too died and went to hell. Now, Pastor Phil, this is 2023, 21st century. Now, we just don't talk about hell. We don't talk about flames. We don't talk about eternal punishment. And we just can't believe that you still, you know, that you still believe such a thing as that. Now, listen to me this morning. It does not matter what Phil Winfield believes. It matters what has God said. And the Bible says that the wicked will be turned into hell and all nations that forget, that forget God. The Bible is so clear. Heaven is real. Heaven is wonderful. Hell is hot. Hell is eternal. And it's the destiny. It's the destiny of all lawbreakers who never come to the truth and never trust Jesus as their Savior. Salvation is available. I read it to you in, in verses 39 to 40. And I need to finish. Everybody identifies themselves by their choices. Pilate did something unexpected. He was convinced that the Jews had delivered Jesus up out of envy. That's Mark 15, 10. He thought, I'll make these guys see what they're doing. They just need a better perspective on this. I'll use one of their traditions, and I'm going to release a prisoner at Passover to get them thinking better. And it'll be Jesus or Barabbas. 
This is an incredible, incredible story. We're going to e- either release Jesus or, well, Jesus, this itinerant teacher that went about doing good works and healed people, they say, and he's just so wonderful and he hasn't committed any crimes that I can see. And so I'm going to put him on one side and I'm going to put Barabbas on the other side, a known insurrection. They accused Jesus of insurrection. This man, Barabbas, was a known rebel and insurrection. He was a Zionist, if there ever was one. He, he was an insurrectionist. He was a murderer. He was a thief. So that'll work. Here's Jesus. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews or release to you to Barabbas? Folks, what did they decide? Barabbas. <laughs> Hard to believe. You know what? Barabbas is a combination of two words, bar, meaning son of, and Abbas, meaning daddy. So he asked them, do you want me to release to you the son of God, or do you want me to release to you the son of his daddy? John said Barabbas was a thief. Luke said that Barabbas was an insurrectionist and a murderer. You know why? Because he was the son of his daddy, the devil. Because the devil was a murderer from the beginning, and so was Barabbas. And the world makes the wrong choice when it comes to spiritual matters. You say, well, I'm just glad. Boy, if we had that choice to make today, we'd take Jesus and not Barabbas. Really? You think? Everyone chooses either Jesus or Barabbas. The mob preferred a murderer to the prince of life. They chose a lawbreaker, not the lawgiver. The Jews rejected their true Messiah, but they one day will accept Satan's false Messiah, the Antichrist. The mob wanted no part of a kingdom of truth, only they wanted a kingdom of power and prosperity. Trade anything as long as you can keep control and as long as you can have prosperity. And they traded the truth. Let me just say something to students and to young adults this morning. I just want to say to you that the mob hardly ever gets it right. Just don't follow a mob. Proverbs talks about it over and over. Don't just follow the crowd. Look to Jesus. Look to his word. Look to wisdom. And don't just do it. So the mob wanted no part of a kingdom of truth. They just wanted a kingdom of power and prosperity. And I'm not done with this, but I'm done for today. Pilate faced the truth and he turned away. Everybody here today is facing the truth this morning. But let me ask you, do you want the truth or do you want a lie? Will you give up the truth if you think it's going to cost you position, prestige, or prosperity? Are you making a trade here? The Bible says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his own soul? Are you trusting in some false version of truth, like some religion or religious ritual to save you? Are you trusting in your presence in a church or on a regular, on a regular basis or the fact that you give or your baptism or confirmation or your offering or some membership on a church role as some guarantee. Well, my friend, here is the truth. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except by me. I'm going to invite my folks up here to come and prepare for the music at this time. Jesus said to him that comes to me, John 6, 37, I will never cast out. Him that comes to me, I will never cast out. How many of you here this morning and you can give testimony that at a certain time in your life when you understood that you were lost and condemned by your sin, you heard the gospel and you came to Jesus by faith. You have done that. Just raise your hand. Say amen. You have come to Jesus by faith. Amen. Not everybody's able to raise their hand to something like that. 
I just want to tell you this this morning. The crowd screamed, release Barabbas and crucify Jesus because a mob never gets it right, but you can get it right. Back in the summer, we studied Galatians, and I can still see it was Seth Placencia that was teaching on this week, and he was talking in Galatians 3.13. He read this verse and paused, and he said, we need to really think about this because of the curse. And it says this, Christ has has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. You see, Jesus was cursed so that you wouldn't be. Jesus bore your sins so that you wouldn't have to. Jesus took our pain, our punishment, and the separation so that we could be joined together with God, be part of his family. He died for you. Oh, this is the gospel. This is the gospel. God sent his son into the world. Jesus came. He lived. He never sinned. He was condemned to die as a sacrifice that he went to the cross of Calvary and was lifted up and he was cursed. All of our curses were on him. So that believing in him, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. So that if we believe in him and put all of our sin and trust on him, we can be forgiven and have eternal life. Erase any hope of working your way to heaven by church membership, baptism, giving, tithing, uh, communion, or any performance. Erase it because it's worthless. The only way you can be saved is in humility saying, I don't deserve it. I deserve to be punished, but I believe that you were punished for me. You died. You were buried and you rose again and I believe it and I trust you. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ and it's glorious. He died for you. Father, draw people to yourself this morning. Save souls. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.